Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Start with you. Get connected to those tigers. Get connected to to where where your strengths are, where your natural proclivities are. And once you do that, when you look at others, you will be able to sense it in them. My guest on today's episode is Stephen Rudolph. Stephen helps people discover and align their tigers. In other words, their innate talents so they can thrive. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing great, and it's so awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So we are worlds apart, aren't we? We're on almost opposite sides of the planet. Yeah, I'm in Cambodia, so you're, you're there in New York, so yeah. Yeah. just about 11 time zones away. Only. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing what the internet and technology can do for us. I mean, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just imagine. <laughs> we couldn't do this 20 years ago. And if we did, it would be very difficult. We'd have to have a whole crew. Oh, yeah. Helping us accomplish this, right? For sure. I, I was part of like some of the, I was in India for some time way back, like in the, in the mid 90s. And when we did like video conferencing, I remember we had to like go to the, the Department of Telecommunications. And yeah, it was a whole big endeavor to, to do that now. Like anybody could just pick up their phone and do it. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing the things that we can do now. And sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting when we don't realize the beauty of all that's around us and the fact that we take it for granted sometimes, right? We, mm. So you, you do something really, really interesting. And, and I definitely want to talk about that. But you have totally transformed your life. And from what I gather is you were teaching music or you were doing music in New York. But even before we get into that, Talk to me a little bit about your childhood. How was it growing up? Who influenced you? What, what were the role models that you would say that maybe you didn't see them then as role models, but now when you look back, they're like, hmm, that person made an impact in my life. Who would you say? 
Right. So I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey, just outside New York City, about 12 miles from uh, from New York. Okay, I grew up in the the seventies and the in the eighties. Those were those were the the, the the times. And so, if I think back to role models, well, of course, for me at least, my my folks were both really powerful role models. My dad uh, was and still is a lawyer, still practicing at mm. uh, age eighty two, and my mom was an event planner, very successful. And so I watched both of them in their work. Dad just has this incredible ability to help people and mm. to be there and to support. Uh, to support others. So I, I saw that in him, into Rotary and always doing something good for, for the community. So that was, he was a real role, role model for me that way. Mm. Funny, creative. Nice. Mom, mom is definitely an entrepreneur and super administrative and organized. So from her, I watched how she would put together these jobs and weddings and uh, things like that to the point where she was doing weddings for the rich and famous by the time she she retired doing um, weddings for like billionaires and they would fly her all over the world to do them. So, oh, wow. so from like a work point of view and of course, ethical point, you know, the point of ethics, both of them are solid people inside and out. So I was fortunate that way. But I would say my first real role model outside of my family mm-hmm. was when I was going to summer camp and up in the Catskills. And I had a, a counselor who was Puerto Rican descent mm-hmm. and he was aspiring to join the Seminole Indian tribe at that time. So this really? was in the, this was like in the mid seventies. I was probably about nine years old. I would guess I'm around nine. And, you know, when you go to summer camp, everybody is there to, play ball, you know, play baseball and archery and basketball and volleyball and soccer, all these kind of things. And this guy had all these books on like traditional, um, you know, Native American spirits, these big like coffee table sized books with these colorful pictures. Mm. And he would go and he would meditate. And this was at a time before like, you know, meditation was really popular. You didn't have yoga centers. And, I, and he used to wake up early in the morning. I used to go spy on him. Like, what is this guy? I used to think he'd like levitate or something. And I hide in the bushes <laughs> and like watch when he went outside to this like area where he would. And, and so I was so touched and moved by this whole idea of energies and the idea of being connected a little more deeply. And mm-hmm. so while other kids were out doing the sporting stuff, like that was one of the things that really got me charge. So I would say he was like one of my first major influences at that time and maybe got me onto that path of self-reflection and looking deeper into life. Oh, so that was in, in summer camp, huh? That was in summer camp. His name, his name uh, was Angel Marcano. So it's funny, he, he, his name is Angel. So he was like, <laughs> I see to me like, like my angel that way to, to open up a whole different perspective of, of life to me. So I was really fortunate to have that at, a, at an early age. Mm. And then, then when did you get into music? At what point or who influenced you to even find music? For me, music was always part of my life. In fact, my earliest memory was a musical memory, and it was one listening to a, listening to a choir. Mm. That, was the, that was the first thing that I actually, like one of my first recollections. And I recall getting chills down my spine listening to the harmonies. So that's like, so it started from there. And I always... You know, I picked, my dad taught me piano, but I I, always, I would always play by ear. It, it came to me naturally. So, like, I got to the point where my brother and I used to take piano lessons, and I, I didn't bother reading. And so sometimes I would sit there, and the teacher would play something, and he'd be pointing to the sheet music, and I'd be looking at the sheet music, but I wouldn't be reading it. I would just be playing, like, what I heard, and, and I would just be, be copied. That, that eventually, like, caught up with me. 
yeah, from there, it went from from piano to to saxophone to um, guitar and keyboards and bass. And bass. I eventually played played drums. So, oh. um, for for me, I never considered myself like a specific instrumentalist. But Nornis, I mean, I guess I could say that I'm a musician, or or maybe better to say that. Well, I talk about tigers, right? So yeah. I have a big musical tiger that needs to be fed, and I still feed it every day, even though I don't earn <laughs> money from it. I I have a small keyboard here on my my desk connected to. Uh, some software so I can compose and mm. um, I love to write music and from just for myself you know, right. I, I make my own music and I listen to it so uh, sometimes I share it with friends that's pretty cool you know one of the things that uh, which was surprising and it's still I mean it's fascinating when I see even an orchestra and everybody's reading the music and they're playing at the same time I'm like how are they doing all this it's so talented and then I found out that some drummers don't even read music. They just, they, they know the songs, they've created the songs and it's just in their head. Is that, is that what would you say? Yeah. So, so, you know, any kind of theory, Mm -hmm. any kind of theory is a tool to get to that deeper connection. That's how I've understood it. Right. So if you take a, especially from the Eastern perspective, um, I, I've spent the majority of my, my adult life living abroad and in the East for most of that time. I'm in Cambodia now. I was in India before that, in Japan for three years also. And one of the things that I found living in the East is that many people know from either like Buddhist or Taoist teachings that everything is connected and everything is sort of connected to everything else. And one of the greatest realizations you can have is when you understand how all of these things are not individual things, right? But everything's on a continuum. So this is, I guess you could say, a, um, a fundamental premise or understanding of, of this way. Okay. And, and so for me, when, when I'm in, in a soup and I'm not understanding a situation, it helps to have a tool. It helps to have a theory. It helps, right, in order to be able to understand certain things, to get a grip on it and get certain things steadied. And when you've understood that, you can then let it go. Mm. So for music, it's like, yes, you can study theory and all of those things. But at a certain point, you go beyond it and you and you then let it go. Mm. But it's not necessary to have that theory. Sometimes some people will come to those realizations of music or ways of life or or any other things like business. Many of the people who succeeded in business didn't get an MBA. They intuitively understood what entrepreneurship is about and they just found their their route there directly and mm. they didn't need all that, that MBA stuff. Yeah. They, they got to the same point. Yeah. When I was reading your bio, it was pretty interesting. You were doing music, and then in order to make ends meet, you started teaching. And mm. one of the things that I, I read was that, was it on your first day that you said, wait a minute, I know how to do this. I know how to really, yeah. I have a knack for this. Yeah. What was that like? And, and, and was it a, a feeling that came over you? Was it like you just taught something to someone? You're like, wait a minute, this is super easy. I'm I'm getting I'm getting chills uh, just sort of recollecting remembering that that moment. <clears throat> so I was 22 and I was from an aspiring rock star. I had, was living in New York in Tribeca and I had to pay the bills so I got this job randomly. I got this job teaching and so I went into that class not knowing anything. My my entire teacher training consisted of the owner of the school's private school. Um putting the book in my hand and like pointing me the, to the door. And she said, cause I told her, I'm worried. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. 
she said, don't worry, you know more than they do. And she kind of like, you know, <laughs> launched me into the classroom. That was my entire teacher training. I got in there and I'm like, oh, what do I do? Where do I start? I'm like shuffling my papers, trying to like look like I know what I'm doing, whatever. And like suddenly everybody looked up. The time, you know, started on, on the hour. And I just went for it. And it just started to come out of me. I knew what to do. I knew mm. what to say. I knew which questions to ask. I knew when to ask additional questions or to turn it over to somebody else and to make a joke at the right time that everybody would get. And I would say it was about a half hour into the class. And it was like, oh my God, I this is what I was meant to do. And, you know, if I were to dramatize it, it's like the voice from the sky that says, you know, Steve, you're not a rock star. You're a teacher, you know. <laughs> and there really was that moment. I mean, like, even if it didn't come that way, but it, it the realization is beyond words, right? right? It's yeah. beyond words. It's just like you... Whether you say, you know, it's like one of those life flashing, those instances where your life flashes in front of you. So it was something like that. And it just became really clear that, oh, my God, this is what I meant to do. I remember two things that I said to myself in that by, by the time the class ended. One was like, this is all I need to get high. That was like the first thing. <laughs> and then the second thing I said to myself, the second thing I said to myself was, um, I could do this for the rest of my life. Mm. And, and I, I have. Wow. So I'm 55 now. So you, you can imagine that was uh, some uh, 33 years ago. Wow. That's so cool. What was, what was that subject that you were pushed into teaching? I was teaching ESL. Mm. It was like English to, to, you know, speakers of other languages, people who showed up in America and didn't know the language and, right, and just right. wanted to be able to talk. But I just sort of like it clicked with me. And, and you know, when I talk about tigers, that's what that's about. Like, why did I know how to teach without ever having to? And why did I enjoy it? But other people wouldn't necessarily like do that or be able to do that or, or to find that same amount of joy. And so for me, that's, that has a lot to do with your, your nature, mm -hmm. with the genetics that you're built with, as well as some early life experiences that build into that. And, and it, it's sort of like you are pre-wired. Right. To be able to do that. And and for some people, as I said, it's entre like it's an entrepreneurial tiger that they know how to do that even even without having done it before. Right. Um and for other people, it's administration. Like my mom, she you know, she just does it naturally. My mom like not only takes care of all of her stuff, she knows like everybody else's to-dos, <laughs> like you know, growing up in the house. And she'd be like, even when I go back to visit, it's like, didn't you say two days ago that you had that letter you had to send to the lawyer, blah, 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 whatever. Did you send that yet? Wow. <laughs> sometimes i forget i'm like how did she remember that like that's that that even slipped by me so that's pretty cool so that that's just something that's that comes pre-wired yeah yeah and her, and her mom is like that or was like that my grandmother so that's where she got it from by the way i put your i put your website up uh feedyourtigers.com and, and yeah we're going to talk definitely a lot more about that and we're going to get deep into it you were pushed into this position in, in a way right because I mean, you needed you needed money, you needed to to live, right? Yeah. But someone saw something in you that you maybe didn't even see in yourself, right? No, no, not at all. I'll tell you what happened when I originally went for the job, right? So I went there, and the woman interviewed me, and she said, "Listen, 
and I had a resume that was probably about that long because I was just out of school. She says to me, look, she called me up after the interview and she said, you know, you, you, you're a really nice young man, but you don't have enough experience and we've hired somebody with more experience than you. So I'm sorry, but we can't give you the job. So I got a call from her like three weeks later and she's like, um, the guy who we hired instead of you just suddenly quit. Mm. Would you be able to fill in? I was like, <laughs> yeah, like when? She's like, how about in an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, I was playing my guitar. <laughs> I really, that's so why I, I put my guitar down, run downstairs, I jump on the number one train, get uptown to, to where the school was, I run upstairs, and like there she was waiting for me. So, so it, wasn't, it, it wasn't necessarily that she had seen that in me, but, but afterwards she was happy that she made the choice because I really did give it my all and, and the students loved me and, and I got results with them. And well, you stepped into the role, right? But, you know, she did see something in you because I'm sure she probably interviewed other people who maybe were not. You know, it, it's really interesting when someone, when we have choices to make, right? And, and the choices that we do make sometimes don't always pan out. And then we have to kind of like look back and say, what would be my next best choice? And so mm-hmm. you were her next best choice. And, you know, like you said, she was happy she did. And it worked out. And the fact that you were there in an hour <laughs> kind of helped too, right? Absolutely. You know, opportunity presents itself. And, and sometimes we're not present for it, right? Or we don't see it. Yes. Because if you said, you know what, uh, today's no good. I, I'll come in next week. She might have said, you know what, I need somebody now. And so she might have called the next person, right? So sure, absolutely, absolutely. When we have an opportunity that truly presents itself, yes. What I, what I'll say is that if you're present in the moment, any every situation is going to that you encounter is it will present itself to you. Now the question is, what do you do and how do you act or interact with that? And for me, when I'm in touch more with my innate potential, when I'm in touch with these qualities, like if I know that my that my entertaining tiger or my educative tiger is a big one, and I'm in touch with that, and then that opportunity presents itself, then I am aware of that mm. because I'm in tune with, you know, that's a considerate like vibrations, you know, or frequencies matching okay. each other. So there's this opportunity for something which is educative and where, you know, okay, you have to entertain also as a teacher. So that's like sort of going by when I'm in tune with my educative, my entertaining, and they're both near each other, then you are aware of that. But if I'm thinking that, no, no, I've got to be, you know, an accountant, or I want to do something in the field of um, design, and that's not really who I am. So I'm sort of like, you know, the the frequency is really distorted, Mm. and it's not resonant, or I'll recognize that, no, my frequency is here. That thing is is operating at a different frequency. And not everybody makes that decision correctly because what they often um, choose to view is, oh, if I do that, I could make a lot of money doing that. Or, you know, I could be famous doing that. Or that would look really good in the eyes of others, even though it's not who you are. And so what they're resonating with is their false sense of what that particular job or situation is about. And then when they get in, they find out, hey, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then... Wow. You, you know, I, I love the fact that you talked about resonating and energy and, and, and even focus. So many people don't pay attention to the energies that, that are around them. 
the frequency, the vibration, because we all operate at a certain frequency. There's a vibration that we all are dealing with. Some of us don't recognize that someone's vibration could be like low or high or medium, but also we may come in with a super high energy and they have a low energy. And so there's no, there's no mix there. It's, there's no harmony. So, and I love the fact that you talked about that. How do you even as as a teacher, how do you harmonize, if you will, yeah, with with a student, uh, um, someone that you're trying to teach something to? Yeah. So so the first thing is okay. It's kind of like when you go on the airplane and they say that in case there's a sudden drop in cabin pressure, oh, <laughs> oxygen mask will deploy from above. If you're with you know children or the elderly, please put your yours on first before you help others. Mm. Okay. So the first thing that I say is that you've got to be in touch with your own innate potential, with your own abilities before you're actually going to be able to effectively see it in others. Right. That's really important. So start with you. Get connected to those tigers. Get connected to to where where your strengths are, where your natural proclivities are. And once you do that, when you look at others, you will be able to sense it in them more. And, and in this case, well, it depends what it is that you're, that you're doing. I know that you, um, you and your, your audience that you interact with are coaches of all different types, right? right? And so the first thing that I would say is what kind of coach are you and how do you bring your tigers to the table as a coach? Like, for some people, I mean, in most cases, all coaches would need to have a big educative tiger. That's sort of like, if you don't have that, you're just not going anywhere. No. <laughs> so that's like the first thing. Right. And beyond that, the second thing that people are going to need to, to be an effective coach is a big interpersonal tiger. You're going to be interacting with people a lot and all the time. So you'd better love to be with people a lot. And now beyond that, then it starts to get like more like um, nuanced. If you have a big bodily tiger that you're great with athletics, so that's going to incline you more toward like uh, fitness instruction. Or if your, let's say, healing tiger is a big one, right? So you could be coaching people around dealing with traumas and how to uh, overcome those particular traumas in their lives. Uh, if it's something related to, um, let's just say, entrepreneurship. So that's a big tiger for you. You might wind up coaching people for business. Mm -hmm. And then there's any combinations of these. But what I want to demonstrate, what's what's unique or interesting about the, the model of the approach that I'm taking is that there's no one way and you can remix it depending upon the situation. Where you do need to be careful, though, is where you have smaller tigers. That's a place where you need to watch out because let's just say like if your logical is not necessarily a big one, like working with numbers and math and you know stuff like that, mm. that means that you might have difficulty when it comes to dealing with finance or maintaining spreadsheets or dealing with cash flow um, because those things will escape you and it becomes a little bit or you might not be, even though you might be entrepreneurial, you might not be the best person to be coaching other people with a smaller uh, logical tiger because there's going to be a fundamental um, gap missing for what you need to be bringing to other people in uh, in in that area. You know, look at somebody like um, who's the guy who did Rich Dad Poor Dad, Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki. 
Right. So, you know, he's somebody, a big entre- entrepreneurial tiger, big logical t- uh, tiger as well, big educative tiger. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's very effective with his exam and, you know, and entertaining. Right. So he's got good examples. He can explain it numerically. He can explain it entrepreneurially and he can explain it well. Right. So that's why somebody like him is, is really good, um, good at something like that. You would take a look at someone like, like Tony Robbins, right? And, while he talks about that, his intrapersonal is much bigger and his healing is also much bigger. Like he's mm. talking about helping people to overcome bottlenecks and, and blockages that are holding them back. So you can see why certain people gravitate toward different types of coaching and then what would make them better in uh, and more effective when they put those together. And there are unlimited ways that you can mix these things up. Mm-hmm. So that's like the first part of the answer to that, I say, is that when you're working with students, first you have to know what your tigers are and how you can best combine them together to be able to figure out who are the students or who are the clients that you could most effectively serve. Hmm. Then, depending upon what it is that you're working with, okay, so if you were guiding somebody and someone came to you for business coaching advice and you recognized in them that their entrepreneurial tiger is a, is a small one, it's not really that big. And they're saying, I want to go out. I want to start my own. You might say to them, hey, wait a minute. Do you really think it's a great idea when your mm-hmm. natural ability in entrepreneurship is, is not necessarily your, your, your biggest asset? There are mm. other ways that you can succeed and be happy. Right. And in some cases, like when I've met people like this, I've suggested that find someone, like somebody, for example, winds up like this. They are Bodily, their bodily tiger is a big one. Mm. Their healing tiger is a big one. And they're really good at something, and healing, they're really good at something like massage therapy. They know how to sense the pain in somebody. They know how to get right to it and to put the right amount of pressure, put that person at ease, and that person just feels so, so relieved. But then that person wants to open up a chain of spas. And this actually happened. Somebody once called me years back, and it was a woman from France. I don't know where she got my number. And she's like, I want to open up a, a chain of spas called Easy Spa and blah, blah, blah. And she was going on about this. We both determined that her entrepreneurial, because I said, if you, you're, if it comes to the entrepreneurial part, get ready that you're going to be marketing mm. and you're going to have to get out there and get a lot of customers in and follow up with them. And do you really want to be doing that? You know, setting up standards and processes for, you're going to have to get investment because you're probably not going to be able to do that all on your own. And then she's like, oh, 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 that's what it's about. Oh, Okay. And we ended the call. So if you have a student that you're coaching and they come to you, rather than just saying, okay, you're, you're not that naturally talented in entrepreneurship. Okay, you're missing something. Let's add it. Take yeah. this course and you got to work hard and you got to be mm. passionate and you got to want it and you have to like make sacrifices elsewhere. So you're setting that person up for failure. Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't have the natural underlying qualities to be able to succeed easily at that. And I would never want to say to somebody, you can't. Or you are limited. But what I do want to say is that any endeavor that you set out on is going to require certain abilities and certain natural abilities. And if you've got bigger tigers in those areas, well, it just makes it easier and it takes less energy to move in that direction and to get return on the investment that you make. So we all have limited time. We all have limited energy. We all have limited resources. And if you're a single mom, you know, uh, taking care of two kids, 
and you're working a full-time job and a part-time job, and then you have this idea to open up Easy Spa, on, you know, and then someone's saying, you know, quit those two jobs and just go for it, and that right. person doesn't have that entrepreneurial or the administrative, you're not doing them a, a favor. You're actually doing them a disservice. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is one example, but you could take so many other examples from this. So my, my goal here, or my suggestion here, is with with students, with people who come to you, know what it is that they're looking to achieve, help them also figure out where their natural abilities are and get them to put their biggest tigers in the areas that will give them the greatest return on investment and then to get support where those tigers aren't naturally as big. Mm. And that's why, and exactly what you said, is why so many people start a business six months, a year later, close it. Because first of all, they didn't do their due diligence, which you talked about, right? Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What can you handle? What don't you know? And in order for certain businesses to be successful, you may have to rely on other people. And if you don't have reliable people, even though you have to rely on them, but if they're not reliable, wow. Oh, absolutely. When we, when we think about the kind of tiger that we are, you have an assessment, right? Before we even get to your assessment, you found, what is it, a $5,000 secret in India? What 5000 a year. 5, oh, I, would call it, I would call it priceless, but yeah. um, the, 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 the literature, yeah, the, the, the literature that I studied while I was in India, um, it comes from the Vedas. Mm. Uh, which are thousands of years old. I mean, there's some nobody really knows they have uh, thoughts, but we know that India is one of the um, the oldest um, living civilizations. So there's like it's there's a lot of literature that's in in Sanskrit. And mm-hmm. I had a a very good friend who was a Sanskrit scholar, PhD mm. in Sanskrit, and um, spoke you know perfect English and knew the that language incredibly deeply. So he was able to help me unlock much of the the details that were in there. And that was related to um, psychology, philosophy, you know, th- various um, things in, in literature about the science of life, the science of knowledge itself. So there was so much that I um, was able to unpack from that. And from that knowledge, I was able to derive this idea of the tigers and then bring it into a more of a, a modern context and throw in some technology to make it accessible to people. So I feel like that's kind of what I did over the 21 years that I was there. It took me a while. You were in India for 21 years. Yeah, it was a, that was a long time. It, it so, took me. It, it took me actually. The it took me the first five years to break my Western frame to stop looking at India from a Western perspective. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I was just looking at things as they were. And then it took me another five years, I would say, to develop more of an Eastern perspective to understand how to view life and and the various experiences that I was going through from more of an Eastern perspective. And I would say it took like another decade for me to bridge both of those and to combine them together. So it was no longer an East or West, but a, a holistic approach, wow. holistic view. Wow. It took a while. And the fact that you, you understood that it did take a while, right? And, and you can come back and have the perspective to that. What... What took you to India? So um, 
when I was teaching in that school and I had an epiphany, my idea was like, I, I got a little indignant because when I discovered that, oh my God, I have this thing for teaching. It's like, this is who I, this is what I meant to do. Then I got indignant because I'm like, how come nobody ever told me this, right? How come I never knew this? How is it possible that I went through all those years of schooling and through college, but I never knew this about myself? Like, this is, this is a crime. Hmm. And so then I, I sort of like vowed, you know, like you're 22, okay. you, you want to change the world, right? So you, you have all these ideas. So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to make a school. And in my school, all kids are going to know who they are. And that's what's going to be the center of the curriculum. Hmm. And so I set out to, um, to make a school like that in New York. And a friend of mine was in India. And he's like, dude, why don't you come here and open up that school here? And I'm like, whoa, that would be cool. And so I took a visit, I went for a visit, and um, then it took about three years for me to fully launch that. I went to Japan for three years before. Mm. Um, I continued to teach, I saved up as much money as I could, and I got a master's in education. Temple University has a campus there in Tokyo, so I did a master's in education there. So I got money behind me, I got some credentials and some experience in teaching, and um, then I, I went, went for it when I was about, uh, just about 26, I, I moved to India. So you actually opened up the school, huh? And I opened up the school. So on the first day, we didn't have enough money with my friends who were there to open up, like buy a piece of land and, or get a building or build a building. So we opened the school in our house on the first day with like, there were eight kids and three teachers and it was kindergarten to third, you know, maybe like <laughs> just two or so kids per class. Right. And each year, um, that we continued, we would add on another grade. So the students who were in third went to fourth, and then the next year went from fourth, we opened up a fifth, right. and it continued until it went up to 12th. And so eventually it was nursery through 12th. And today that school's got uh, about 2,000 kids in it, nursery through 12th. So, wow. Not in the house. No, not in the house. <laughs> that was, I forget what year, maybe it was around uh, two. Just before 2000, we maybe 99, 2000, we moved out of the house. We got a piece of land finally. Mm. And um, it was 107. Remember, there were 175 kids in the house at that time. Wow. And they were everywhere. They were in every, like, we maximized the space of the house in the basement. And on the roof, we put some kind of like a bamboo because we couldn't build. Like, there was a limit to how high we could build. So we put sort of like this bamboo roof. Um, <laughs> and so there were kids studying there. And I knew it was time. I knew it was time for us to get out of there when I thought it was Sunday morning, but it was actually a Monday morning. And my room was there and the bathroom was like outside of my room. It wasn't like inside of my room. And I was in my towel and the classroom was just outside my, my bedroom. And I sort of bleary eyed. I sort of like I put my towel on and I step outside my, and that's all, you know, I, was, I had nothing off from the, from the top of, I step outside and suddenly I hear a chorus of, Sergi, good morning, <laughs> maybe about 15 kids. And I said to them, good morning. They were about like, I don't know, five years old. Good morning. And I sort of like went back into, sheepishly back into my room. So, okay, we have to change some things around here. Right. So that, but that was also beautiful, you know, being in that experience and just being immersed by that. I mean, just imagine my educative tiger. I was like swimming in it. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. for me, that was, it was like pure, pure pleasure. But then, of course, you know, I needed to draw some, some boundaries and, um, of course, <laughs> got the land and got the kids out. And then school started growing. And, uh, Wow. Yeah. And true to the original mission, the center of the curriculum was and still is about each child knowing who they are. Wow. And so there's far less emphasis put on getting high marks and, and whatnot. Although, you know, the, there is a pursuit of academic excellence, but it's it's not like that's the only thing. We did over the years find 
some students who were not academically inclined, but were incredible in art and creativity or in healing or in Hmm. uh, being adventurous. So there were many other areas that we looked to to help guide those children. So by the time they graduated, they knew where they were going, whether they were going to college or not, and if so, which kind of program, and then where it was going to lead to after that. So... Hmm. For me, that was the most important thing to, to have. That was my original aim and, and it wound up being like that. So I feel like something was accomplished. I think we need that kind of schooling here in the United States, actually all over the world, if you, you will, because so many people don't get the education they truly need because no one knows who they are, right? You just, they're just thrown into the mix and it's like, you have to learn this. But you can't learn it because you're not capable or that's not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And I, I love that concept of maybe they were not good at math, but they were good at music, right? So Or, or the arts, or, or they were gifted in somewhere else. But we're going to put them down because, hey, your, your math stinks. Right. Yeah, yeah, the education system is very much set up for certain tigers. Mm. In other words, if you're linguistic and your logical tigers are big ones mm-hmm. and your administrative is a big one, well, it's a cakewalk. Yep. When we went through school, the kids who were naturally organized mm. and naturally talented in, in language and, and logic, they, they would make a little bit of an effort and they would get huge results back and they would get all the praise and it would be like, you know, rinse, repeat. They would go through this virtuous cycle and they went, you know, straight into really good colleges and, and into, you know, high paying jobs eventually, et cetera. But if you didn't, if, if you had tigers that weren't necessarily strong in those areas, yeah, you sort of fell through, fell through the cracks. And, and like giving the examples that you were pointing out, we had one student who had this amazing ability for, um, for cooking. Mm. And after he, he left and he had really average scores. After he left, he went to culinary school and he became like this rock star chef <laughs> working in five stars and then cooking for like, by the time he was in his early twenties, he had cooked for all these like movie stars and for like heads of state. And he set up his own company eventually after that. So that's what happens. That's what happens when you get aligned. But there is one thing I want to go back and touch on. Like you said, um, you know, of course, uh, being superlative, like nobody knows who they are. What what we were talking about before, you were saying the example that you gave was about you know, there are some people who I, who are like, let's say, musicians, but they don't even know how to read music. Right. Some people even say that about Pavarotti. They, they wonder, like, he never said it, but there were some people who said that he didn't know actually how, how to read it or to read much of it. Jimi Hendrix it, it admitted that, uh, that he couldn't read music. Mm-hmm. But yet they broke through, you know, they broke through and they wound up getting to that end of being able to be an artist and express themselves fully through uh, using their instruments. So it wasn't, it's not necessary for everybody to have to go through the steps of schooling, training, theory, et cetera, in order to get there. But that's typically a very small percentage of the people and Typically, their tigers in that particular area are massive. Mm. So they figure it out quickly because those tigers are primed for it and they just know how to pull the principles out. You'll hear Elon Musk all the time talking about it's about first principles. It's about first principles. So he looks at situations and he boils it down to the essence and he gets to it right away. And then he knows how to nail the problem. Well, you can do that when you've got a natural proclivity towards that. And, and so what I want to say is that 
it's the people who do figure it out. And there are lots of people who do crack it. I would say it's maybe like about 10%. Mm-hmm. They figure it out. And that's due to the fact that, and it could be healers, right? It could be somebody who's got this incredibly, you know, prodigious healing tiger. They just understand how to sense people's pain and to get them out of it. And they find their ways there. They find their way there and they become a sensation whether or not they do well in school. So, mm. so that's the, the prerequisite. Would you say that our tigers are, we're born with them, or is it tigers that we can evolve into? Yeah, so this is the nature versus nurture question. Mm. My research and understanding and experience shows me that it's part of both. I can't tell you whether it's, and there's people who will say, you know, it's 50-50, it's mm. like 25-75. Some people will say it's it's like one or the other. But by my experience is that it's both of them. Mm-hmm. We are born with natural tendencies to be driven or to be pulled towards certain types of activities that's there. And based on the experiences that we're exposed to, the situations, the people, circumstances, those qualities will have an opportunity to manifest more. So for instance, if you have a parent that's naturally gifted in music, so you're going to have some musical genes in there. And if you grow up listening to, you know, their their music is part of the everyday activities, the parents are playing music, you're exposed to hearing it, going to concerts, giving music lessons, etc. So that tiger is going to, uh, if you're encouraged to do it, that tiger is going to naturally grow exponentially. Mm-hmm. I can see it like in my in my daughter. So like in my case, my entertaining is a little bit on on the bigger side. You know, I, I know lots of people who are far more entertaining than I am, but I look at others and I say, okay, I know that I'm more more entertaining than than, than they are. I was always in acting, I was always doing things like like that growing up. Mm-hmm. And I see my daughter, she's two years old now. And I also see her, she knows that she's funny. She knows how to be funny. Things that she says, the way that she says it. And recently what I discovered, two years old, she's got comedic timing. Really? Like she knows when to say, and I'll ask her a question like, are you going to put that stuffed animal over there? And she'll go, no. Well, what about that one? No. So it's like when she says it, like I can actually feel that she's got the, she's got the, the, and she's caught that she watches YouTube videos. She watches, you know, TikTok from, from time to time. She'll flip through it. So from her experiences of being around me, where I have some sort of sense of timing like that, from seeing it from other people, she has naturally, what is it, metabolized that and come to, you want to call those first principles or come to the, the skill of being able to do those things. And so for her, it's going to be that, but it's not going to be some others. For for other children, it's going to be other qualities, whether those be, you know, a, a visual type, like, you know, drawing, coloring, painting, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty incredible. What are your thoughts on prodigies? Mm. So my thought about prodigies is... Um, it's just, it's sensitive in the sense that I'm always concerned about the child and the child's well-being mm-hmm. and the child's um, being able to live. When I say, I don't say like live a normal life, but live a happy life, live a content life. In some cases, there's undue pressure that's put on them or when they when they demonstrate 
immense talent in a particular area, sometimes they are either paraded or parents try to cash in on it right. and to you know bring them to a certain and in the process they can suffer socially and they mm-hmm. can suffer in in other areas of of their lives and I have somebody who I know who who has a uh, a child that is just uh, remarkable with mathematics. I mean, he, uh, who was doing like algebraic uh, equations when he was four, just to give you an idea. Really? By the age, <laughs> by age four, also wow. he had memorized by himself the periodic table with all of the atomic weights to uh, four decimal points, like mm. that kind of that kind of um, prodigious. And he was really challenged for many years um, socially, being excluded, being uh, isolated. And, um, you know, my, my friend who, my friend also had, he had to, um, back down quite a bit, not to put that sort of, uh, to set up those goals for him and, um, allow him to just be, to just be a child. I think something also that happens with, with, um, prodigies of, of any type, even if it's a musical, like I was talking about Jimi Hendrix, right. one of the challenges that I've seen them face is that when things come very easily to somebody, or I would say easily then the rest of the population, they are at, you know, in terms of the, there, there are so many standard deviations away from, from the norm. So they just touch a musical instrument and play one note and everybody's in awe. So what, what happens to them is that there can be a lack of um, motivation because everything comes so easy. So there's almost no incentive to work hard because if they just do something easily, they get the reward really quickly. Well, what we know about motivation, motivation and reward, is we need to have a challenge in front of us. When we've got a challenge that's just the right challenge, it's a little bit beyond our ability, but not too far, mm-hmm. right? And so when you've got a challenge like that, then you work toward it, you work toward it. And when you get it, it's like, yeah, we've experienced this when we either in, in sports um, or in um, video games, when it's too hard, so hard that we can't achieve it. And we try again and again and again, and then we keep failing. Mm. We get frustrated and then we drop it. Right. Um, but the opposite is also there when if everything that you do just comes so easily you, you lack that motivation. You don't get the dopamine hit. You don't get a reward. And so when that's happening, it's, it throws out really confusing signals. And they then, there's, I would say, a temptation to seek out pleasure from other sources, which is often why you see people who are, who are super talented turn to drugs mm. or other you know, means of, of stimulation because they're just not getting that joyous feeling of reward from the thing that they're actually so good at. And that's hard for most people to understand because when we're not good at it, we, we struggle, we struggle, we struggle. So it's painful for us and we don't get the compliments. We have to keep working at it. They have the exact opposite. It can be, um, it can be traumatic and it can be um, a curse in a way right. for everything to come so easily. They, they probably feel isolated too, right? If you will. Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and talk about your, your assessment. I know that mm-hmm. on on your website you have an assessment that people can take. You you told me that we can do it kind of live here, right? I, I I'd love to uh, jump on it and, and and give it a shot. And I know we're not going to do the whole thing, but I want you to explain what would happen when somebody goes to your website, how it works, and and everything else. Sure. So we have a test. It's called the MN test, the multiple natures test. And there are 19, I call them tigers or um, your talents or potential or abilities. 
And what the test does, it takes about 20 minutes and it will help you understand that which of these is big or medium or small. You do it on a, a 10 point scale. And when you do that, then afterwards, you'll be able to figure out what are the type, what types of work or side gigs or leisure activities would be best for you to engage in in order for you to feed all your tigers. And so there are matching reports that also go with it. And we've got, as of date, we have about 120 people who have been trained in uh, administering the test and also in providing uh, interpretation. So usually when people come, they've got a question that they're asking themselves, should I open this business or not? Mm. Or um, I'm not feeling like, you know, there's something that's eating away at from inside, I feel like I have unfulfilled potential. Like, how, what do I do about that? Or I'm burnt out and I need to do a reset. Or I'm in job transition right now and I want to get out of this job and into another one, but where should I go? I mean, I've even had people who are in re- their retired years, they finish working and then they're like, okay, what am I going to do <laughs> yes. for, for, for in my golden years? Like, I don't know. Okay, maybe I can do volunteer work, but then what? You know, am I going to be a crossing guard or am I going to help uh, you know, do a, a Big Brothers or Big Sisters program? Or uh, am I going to, you know, what, what is it going to be? So this tool will be able provides information for you to, to give you some of those uh, insights as to how you could solve that you could solve that uh, that problem. So that's what it's uh, what it's about. It comes with graphs, and there are you know deeper descriptions of each of the tigers and what they do. Interesting that you're right. When we are supposed to have our golden years, right? And so many seniors are not. You know, look at how many people they retire and they die six months later because yep. it's almost like their purpose is done. They're done. Sure, they didn't plan. You, you hear a lot of people, yeah, I'm retiring next year. I'm retiring next year. What are you going to do after you retire? Are you going to sit home and watch TV? Are you going to do things? Are you actually going to live those golden years? Um, and a lot of people who do retire, you know what they wind up doing? They become babysitters for their grandchildren instead of enjoying. So a lot of times, oh, mom, dad, I got to go to work. Can you take care of the kids? Yeah, and it's one day. And all of a sudden, it's three days. All of a sudden, it's every day of the week. And they have no life left. Now they're just caretakers again, instead of living their golden years. I I, I like the idea of someone coming to your website or even to you personally and and figuring out, I'm going to retire next year. What should I plan on doing? How or even how? Should I plan my golden years? What yeah. What are my steps? What, what should I facilitate so that I can make it happen, right? So how important is that, would you say? I, I say it's essential. And um, I had, a, a, there's a really good example of a woman that I worked with. She was a criminal psychologist and she never wanted to go into criminal psychology. Her father was in that field mm. and and really, let's say, influenced her she says forced her into that she couldn't say she couldn't say no to him and he eventually passed away and she retired she stopped that uh, in her early 60s and i interacted with her and she's like i don't know what to do and when we went through the assessment we found that her educative tiger was huge and her linguistic tiger was also huge so for her she wound up teaching teaching english or being an english tutor so helping um, children and tutoring them from low-income areas. Mm. So that was a way that she could really feel fully engaged. And, you know, there's something I want to point out here about this word retirement, because I think people mis- 
not just misunderstand it, but I would like to extend or expand uh, the meaning of it or give a different way to look at it. So the idea of like when you retire is that, okay, I stop working and maybe doing stuff that like maybe I don't want to do so I can do things I can enjoy, right? right? There's this There's this belief that when I retire, then I'll travel, I'll be able to take dance lessons, I'll be able to do the, I'll paint, I'll, I'll be able to do the stuff I always wanted to do. Mm. So what does that mean, doing the stuff that you want to do? What it means is feeding tigers. So if you have a big creative tiger and a linguistic tiger, then you might love to write. Now, I know a guy who is quote unquote retired and he does script writing and he's, he does novel writing too. So he's writing in fact two novels Mm. and uh, at the same time and a script. So he's feeding his tigers all the time by, by doing that. And to me, what's interesting is that if you were to consider the, the term retirement, meaning to be able to have enough or to be able to have the resources to do what you want so you can feed feed the tigers that you want. Right. Well, it doesn't have to be when you're 60 or when you're 70. Or, <laughs> exactly. If you get it right earlier on, like if you're in your 20s now and you figure out which are the tigers that you want to feed, you can actually line it up now. So you're feeding most of your tigers or the big ones in the main work that you do, mm. as well as in maybe some gigs or in, in your hobbies. So you could technically be retired in that sense, even though you might not have like, you know, the, the financial resources to be able to stop working, but you might be in a position where you love your job because it's feeding your big tigers and you've got a little Etsy thing going on the side and you, <laughs> yes. you play some music, uh, you know, with, with your kids for fun or, or take care of your, your grandkids. You know, it could also mm-hmm. be that like if you're providing tiger is big, you might love to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, but the choice is yours. Right. And and that is possible. That is possible to have that earlier. But you need to be intentional about that. You need to know your tigers. Hmm. And then you need to have a strategy how you're going to uh, feed them. Your test is, is 19, right? 19 tigers? Yeah, they're 19 that I've identified. W- would you mind going through it? Sure, I uh, <laughs> I can do all of it. So there are two sets of tigers, and this is also really interesting. It's like a left eye and a right eye. Mm. So one set of tigers is a set that I created out of my research from India. And another is a set that was proposed by Howard Gardner, who um, is a professor of cognitive psychology at Harvard. Mm. And he proposed Gardner's idea, and this really is what got me started in the first place. In 1983, he came out with a book called Frames of Mind, and he challenged this idea of IQ, saying it's not how smart you are, but it's how you are smart. There are many ways to be smart, what he called multiple intelligences, not just like intelligence. And so there he talked about bodily intelligence, so being smart with your body. Uh, interpersonal, so being smart with people. Logical, being smart with numbers. Linguistic, with words and language. Uh, visual, so being smart with any kind of visual things that you see, coloring, drawing, painting, and um, you know the, the spatial things as well. Musical, mm. intrapersonal, so that would be like self-reflection and thinking about you know, thoughts and the meaning of life. And then the last is naturalistic, so being connected to, being smart with plants, animals, nature, the environment. So he viewed all of these as kind of like channels through which you, your energy flows and you're going to flow more toward the, the bigger ones. So we all have all of them, but then again, to different degrees. So that was the first one. But what troubled me was that it didn't say 
how or why you should channel energy through there. So I ask myself these questions. Why am I into this educational thing? Like, I don't see anything in here that says anything about teaching. Or why is somebody very funny? Or why does somebody like to take risks and, you know, jump out of airplanes? So I couldn't find that in in that. And so in my research uh, with the Indian literature, I then derived these tigers, which are different than the intelligences. They're multiple natures. Mm-hmm. They're tendencies, ways that you tend to act, which have a social purpose. So for instance, there's a protective tiger. So that's a tendency to prevent harm, loss, injury, wrongdoing. Right. So you would know like you're, you're, it's a big one for you if you're the one who's saying, hey, don't throw that on the floor, pick it up or <laughs> put your seatbelt <laughs> yes. on, all right, or follow the rules or... Mm-hmm. Or you point out mistakes and grammar and stuff like that. So that's a protective nature. Mm-hmm. Um, there is um, an educative nature, which we've talked about, an educative tiger, so loves to teach. Uh, administrative, getting the work done. Creative, which is coming up with new ideas. Some people have huge tigers that are creative. The next is a healing tiger, so helping to, the tiger that loves to identify pain and imbalance in others and get them out of it. An entertaining tiger, uh, which loves to attract attention and to amuse people. There's a providing, the one that loves to give, help, serve, and to take care of. It's an empathy of need that you can sense other people's needs and want to, to fulfill them. Entrepreneurial. And then the last one is adventurous. So that's all of and taking risks, right? So th- those are all of them. And again, for me, the cool thing, so you, you can do this little experiment, even if you're, you're listening right now, I ask people to do this. Think about like your left eye and your right eye. So like if you close, you put your hand over like, you know, one of your eyes and, and you keep it closed and, and keep it fully closed. So there's no light that's going in and you look around for a period of time. Do it right now. Yeah. So, you know, so what do you notice while you've got one eye closed? What, what's happening? Like, how does it feel? What are you, what are you sensing and, and, and experiencing? I'm going to tell you what's going on with me. I'm odd. One eye is nearsighted mm-hmm. and the other eye is, is farsighted. Okay. So that's keep, why I'm odd. Keep that, ha- keep that hand covered like that. Let, keep it there for a period of time because it's, it's the duration that's important. Oh, okay. But, but like, what are you experiencing right now? Blurriness. Okay. Right. So everything's, uh, it, unless it's really close to me. Okay. Like if I put my hand here, I can see it really clearly. Okay. I can see all, all the right. tiny little lines. Okay. But here. But you, but you probably feel like something's incomplete. Correct. You might feel, you might feel limited. Mm-hmm. You might feel like, you know, that, that, that you're, you're uncomfortable. So I'll, I'll count to three. And when I say three, take your hand off and just see what happens when you take your hand off. Are you ready? Yep. One, two, three. Clarity. Whoa. Right. Everything just opens up. It's like, I see the full picture. So for me, this, these intelligencies and natures, and this is the interesting thing about this model is it's not just one set of qualities because one set of qualities is like, you know, looking at things with one eye, Mm. monocular vision. It's two dimensional. In, in this model, I'm using two different sets that, that interact with each other, which gives you this three-dimensional understanding of a person. So now just see how it works, right? Your protective nature, you love to, you're this protective tiger, you want to prevent harm, loss, injury, you know, wrongdoing, injustice, right? The protective tiger wants to eat. Now imagine that your bodily intelligence, right? Your bodily tiger is a big one. So protective plus the bodily, what does that lead you toward in terms of a career? Want to protect with the body, want to protect with the body. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you want to help people, right? You want to maybe doctor, nurse. Um, Can right? be. I mean, police but th- things like things like a police officer, right? Fireman. Military, 
bodyguard, yeah. right? So that's the protecting with the body, protecting with the body. It can also be some of these things too. They will be there in nurses and, and also with doctors. Now let's move it down a bit. Let's just say you want to protect, but your body is not like your big tiger, but your language and your logic are big tigers. So it's like protect with language and logic, protect with language Educated, and logic. Right. Can be, yeah, but a lawyer. lawyer. Right. A human rights activist. Mm -hmm. So they don't need to like rough people up or to, you know, give them an uppercut here. (laughs) They they use language and logic to protect. And you can keep mixing these things up in this three dimensional way. So like Mm. you could take that bodily and then mix it, as we said, with educative would be a fitness trainer. You could have bodily plus healing. That brings you like Reiki or physiotherapist or massage therapist. If it's the language plus healing, well, then that could be a psychologist. Or a, so, can you see how this like oh, whole yeah. the, all the fireworks start oh, going? That's that's, that's I, I love it. So yeah, that's that's, really that's cool. what goes on. So, what I love to do is help people figure out which are the big tigers, and then how to mix it up. Yeah, how to mix it up, how to feed all those tigers, and like find different ways to to combine them. Then it becomes cool. You get to like keep remixing your life, not just you know like you get to you get to 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 do like a, a cool remix. I like what you just talked about, uh, remixing your life, because we all, whether you like it or not, unless you're in a cell the whole, your whole life, we go through transformations, right? We go from when we're a toddler to 10 years old, then, then we go to teen years, then we go through a young adulthood, then we go through adulthood, and then we go in even in stages in life of in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. And for the, those of us who are going to live to be over 100, me being one of them, <laughs> we, we go through so many stages in life. And, and I, I'm thinking that the stages in life derive from two things, right? Your capacity to improve and learn and your understanding of those two things. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, so I like your question a lot. For me, it's your understanding of your ability. So you're saying that this second one that you said, that's something that happens over time. We tend to understand ourselves better as we get older. So that's, that's one thing. And uh, on, on the other side, what I want to say is that when we go through these different phases or stages, life, the, the circumstances of life change. Mm-hmm. So it's our ability to be able to look at what our natural abilities are and to adapt and to adjust to them for each of these changing um, scenarios. You know, so we start off and we, you know, we're, we're students and from there we're then working and then perhaps we have families and then mm. um, we're looking to gain some stability. And then at certain points, some people might pass away or, you know, we get, as I mentioned, we get married along the way. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are so many of these circumstances. We have to move due to, there's a pandemic that happens. So life is constantly happening to us and our ability to understand and then to be able to adapt these natural abilities to the best of the opportunities that are, that are in front of me right now, that that seems to me to be like the the um, you know the, the balance between these. Our capacity to improve does depend on this, but I also really want to point out one thing: our capacity to improve is largely dependent on the size of the tiger, the natural size of the tiger. So, if I've got a tremendous educative nature, let's just say it's a, it's a big one. Right. So that means that I learn quickly if I 
put, if I go into a class and it's a new sort of, you know, um, idea, a new sort of class that I'm starting to teach, I'll learn really fast. And in just like one or two classes, I'll be able to have a professional level course that will work and will, will deliver results. Somebody else whose educative tiger is not as, is not as big. They might need to run that course for a year before it gets to a level that they say, okay, now this is really working and I've gotten a lot of feedback. And for me, it's, you know, my logical is not nearly as big. So if I've got to do something with mathematics, with finance, et cetera, so I'll put in all this time and even I've learned a lot over the years, even I've made attempts at it, even I've done courses, but still it's like, I still have to put in a lot of effort to get back a little bit of results. Mm. So I think that that's important for people to, to keep in mind, oh, yeah. effort is there, but mm-hmm. don't don't underestimate the power of the natural talent and the size of the tigers. I, I got to tell you, I am enjoying this conversation so much. You have such insight, and, and and it was all just because you decided to look deeper, right? And, and so many people don't do that. They just they just stay, I guess, where they think that they've been put into, right? A lot of people, like that that lady that you were talking about, that she felt like her dad forced her into a profession and she didn't even want to do it. And then finally, she you helped her find her tigers. To me, that that's amazing. So you, you did a little assessment earlier on me, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts now that you got to know me a little bit? So, so in your case, as we, we went through the tigers and I asked you different questions and, uh, I mean, usually I would have you do it through, through the, uh, through the online test, but okay. In this case, I can sort of eye it because the, I've done it a thousand, thousands of times. So, so I, I get it. So in your case, what I, what some of the big ones that we've identified new, in fact, there were a lot of big ones, um, your, your gross bodily. So your athletic ability. Uh, your dexterity, uh, big, your interpersonal is also big. And that we've seen, like, I haven't seen you doing sports, so I can't say, but I can definitely see that you're connected, that you are present, that when we're interacting, your eyes are open. So, you know, you're, you're curious, you're inquisitive. So all of that definitely validated. You mentioned that your logical and linguistic were about medium and, and many of the others were, were big ones. And so what that means to me, what that means to me is, when you have a lot of big tigers like this to feed, that you're going to have to find ways to feed them all. Mm. And it might not be possible to do it in just one, in just like a day job. You're going to need to spread it out. You're going to need to have lots of different things to do (laughs) every day and across your week. Because if you start only focusing on one area, Right. If you're only doing, you know, a limited, a limited number of these things, well, what happens is that you're going to get hungry tigers and big hungry tigers. And what I say is that if you don't eat your tiger, if you don't feed your tigers, they eat you. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I need, um, you know, 12 days in a seven day week. (laughs) Get that. For me, it's always, um, I feel like the more I get into things, the more I evolve. And for me, learning is, oh my gosh, it's beyond. This is why I'm addicted to my own show, because I get to talk to amazing people like yourself. And I learn, and you taught me so much today, but I'm constantly reading, I'm looking things up. And even one of my, my clients yesterday said to me, you're always 
doing something. You're always moving. You're always learning. What don't you know? What career haven't you had? And, I'm, and I even told you before, it's like my purpose is to live and I got to live fully. So yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I don't want my tigers to eat me, right? I want to keep feeding them. But man, I have a lot of tigers. And, and I think that's what makes me an entrepreneur because the, I'm not satisfied with the status quo. There is no status quo. There's something else that I haven't done yet. I need to go do it, right? Absolutely. What, what suggestion would you give someone like myself, an entrepreneur, someone who, people who, who have it all, but still pursue more? That's the kind of people that I, I kind of align myself with because there's still hunger in them, right? I'm, I'm a hungry tiger, if you will. Mm. So how do you, or what's your, your suggestion for someone even like me? Well, if you think about it, think about just regular food and appetite. It's not like you eat one meal and then you're satisfied for like, you know, a day or a week. You know, you're going to get hungry again and you, you need to keep eating throughout your life. And the tigers are very much the same. When you wake up in the morning, you've got these tigers inside of you that need to eat. And by eat here, I mean to act. You look out at the world and you say, okay, who am I and what have I got here? And what does the world need from me? What is it asking from me? In some cases, some people can self-plan uh, or determine that. They can create their own companies or make their own hours or do their own, etc. In other cases, some people don't have, like they might lack that entrepreneurial tiger, a big one, and they don't know how to set up their own their their own schedules, which is why they go to work for people who do. Mm-hmm. That's why there are you know people who start businesses and then people go to work for them. So um, what I would say, and uh, you know, this is advice that I would give to anybody, which is just make sure that you keep feeding. You're going to have to feed those tigers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's it's not like you, you know you're 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 making that choice. You're going to have to feed them one way or the other because if you don't, like I say, they're going to eat you. What and what does that mean? They're going to eat you. What it means is that you'll get frustrated when you don't feed them. You're going to get a sense of frustration inside. You're going to feel like angst, anxiety. You're going to feel antsy, like there's something like I'm bored. You're going to start like shaking your feet, shaking your seat, tapping your foot. You're going to want to get up and you'd be walking back and forth across your room like, you know, uh. so if you've got when you're in that situation, you you at what's going on at that point is that there's in your brain, there is a lack of dopamine. So dopamine is not releasing. So dopamine is that, as I said before, that motivation and reward thing that when you do something, you feel, you do it, you accomplish it, you feel good. And then you want to keep, you want to keep um, repeating that cycle in that sense, in that sense, like dopamine in this, in this case is actually the satisfaction that you get from feeding a tiger, right? Right. That's what chemically what's going on in the brain, right? You you have a challenge, you set it up, you do it. It's like, yeah, okay, I nailed that. I did that thing. So you're feeling, you feel sad. But when you're not feeling that, when that, when that dopamine's not releasing, you feel like a blockage, you feel like hungry. And then you actually turn toward other things to stimulate you in order to get the dopamine flowing. So that could be carbs, eating something that could be sugar, it could be Mm. chocolate. It could be like, you know, not just a cup of coffee, but your second or third. Mm. It could be, um, you know, smoking or vaping or stimulants of various types. It could even be things like what I call retail therapy, you know, go buy yourself another dash, you know, you fill in the blank, you know what it is that you got a weakness for. 
or even diversion. You know, you go and you watch some video of something that's like, you know, entertaining. Mm. But each of these ways of stimulating that chemical release in the brain is not ultimately sustainable in a healthy way. You can't like smoke your way to like, you know, happiness and health. You can't keep eating your way to happiness and health. They might give you temporary fixes, but uh, they will compound and they will wind up bringing you uh, physical um, uh, illness as a result of that. Therefore, when you do feed things with that, you know, you sort of set it up. Like for you, it's almost like, you know, uh, the, those those people in the, the circus when they have like the, the sticks with the the the, uh, the plates yeah plate so you've got like you know maybe like 15 of those that you have to keep going and keep doing for other people it might only be three four or five that they have to just go back and forth so it's it might be easier for them to just feed a couple of them even in one job and maybe mm-hmm. in a little bit of a hobby and they wouldn't have to work so the advice that i would give to you is be prepared that for your whole life, you're going to need to be like feeding lots of tigers and therefore don't, don't neglect any. And when you're feeling some angst and when you get the trigger, right. when you suddenly see yourself like reaching for that second cup of coffee or you're going for, you know, something that you don't need to eat or stimulate or buy, just use that as an example to say, whoa, which tiger is hungry right now? Yeah. Like that's the connection. If you can make that, mm-hmm. you'll stop and you'll, and then, you know, for me, maybe it might be something musical. Like I haven't done something musical, let's say in two days and it's like eating away. I mean, I don't realize it's like frog in the, mm-hmm. you know, the frog right, in the right. pot. And I'm boiling alive and I don't even realize it. And I said, okay, you know what? You just, you know, you just went for a, you know, another, like, you know, cup of coffee and you stop that. Okay. Right. Do something musical right now. Take 20 minutes. Yeah. I'll pull out and I'll turn on my, my keyboard. I'll put, you know, bring my, my music um, software and I'll compose something really quick. Within 10 minutes to 50, I'm so buzzing. It's mm. like the equivalent of, you know, a double shot of espresso. And suddenly I'm awake again. Yeah. It is people don't realize how powerful it is just to feed a tiger. And that's why I say like, don't be lazy to feed the tigers to give yourself a boost and give yourself a charge. Of course, make it sustainable, mm-hmm. get it into your work, get it into a part-time gig, yeah. get it into a hobby if you can. But yeah, so that's my advice. That, that's a natural high for me, right? And, and for you too, right? Once you're into it, it's like, it feels so good. Yeah. And, and so many people are not listening to their tigers, right? And this is why yep. all of my listeners, anyone who's even watching on either YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and if you're watching the replay, you got to go in and reach out to Stephen. Stephen, you have been just a wonderful and an amazing guest, and I want to thank you for that. You, you've taught me that, you know, yeah, I got to take care of my tigers, but also sometimes you need to like have a relaxing tiger too, right? You got to chill sometimes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You have to give them a break too. You can yeah. overfeed them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, and the other thing when, when you talked about the spinning plates, I'm like, yeah, you, you, you can't spin plates for a very long time. Eventually one's going to fall and then maybe they all fall. So that's why you have to ask for help. Mm. You have to ask someone else to come in and handle those three over there. I'll handle these three. You yeah. handle those three, those three. And, and so sometimes we, we forget that there are people that we can rely on that can mm. help us. Right. So yep. we can achieve more through teamwork. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Because they, they'll have tigers that are big ones where you don't have. And, and so it's a perfect opportunity, like, you know, puzzle pieces, getting people to, you know, I'm not necessarily, someone's not so creative, uh, but they need creative ideas. Go to somebody with a big creative tiger, get them in, insource their 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 creative capacity. Mm. And somebody else might be more administrative. Utilize them to help you get your act together. So that's where great teamwork happens when you, you leverage each other's tigers. Stephen, wow. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Oh, my goodness. Thank, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed hanging with you. Yeah, a lot of fun. And j just before we go, I, I know that you had a shift, right, if you will, because you were going to leave Cambodia, but the pandemic hit and, yeah. and then you, you stuck it out. You're still in Cambodia. Where are you off to when you do decide to move on? No idea right now. Um, it could it could be it could be anywhere. <laughs> the, 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 given, given my past, um, if I hear a calling and it's it sounds right or it looks right, then I might I might consider that. But uh, right now, I guess it's it's really who knows. I'm here and I'm now I'm now here in in Cambodia and um, all all is well. And so let's let's see where where the next call comes from. Awesome. All right, my friend. You have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, Go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Thank you and I really appreciate your help.